Do you, you want the music? Let's play the music. Yeah, let's play the music. Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm joined by Bailey Perkins. Hello. Hello, Andy. Hey, listeners. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Scott is not with us today. He is under the weather. To our, to my knowledge, it is not COVID. However, Bailey and I were just talking before we hit record that the coronavirus has entered our family bubbles, um, respectively. In my family, as some of our listeners may have seen my Twitter thread, um, my grandmother was in the hospital for other things, uh, and we, on the day she was going to be discharged, they tested her. And we found out she was infected, and that meant that my mother was also infected, and um, I was exposed. My mother then exposed my father, and so they're recovering. They're doing well today. They're roughly on day five, I guess, as we record this. And my grandmother is doing well, arguably the best, because she was already in the hospital and they could start her on treatment, right? Remdesivir and some methylprednisone and the stuff that they need. And uh, in fact, I think she's going to be discharged today, which is exciting because they're preparing for the surge we know is coming, right? Over the next couple of weeks of folks who are going to be sicker. And obviously, if she gets worse, we'll have to take her back. But it's like a weird sign where the doctor was like, listen, I know that you have COVID and you're going she's going home to my parents' house and you're going to have two caretakers who are also infected. Lord willing, none of you have to come back, but we need the space because somebody else will. Right. And so this is, that is the state of COVID in Oklahoma right now. We've had, Oh, I did the math the other day. I mean, between 15, I think 17,000 something people in the past week have been infected. Or have been one in every 100 Oklahomans is infected with COVID right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, bananas, right? Was that Oklahomans or just Oklahoma City? I believe that's Oklahomans. Okay. I knew for sure Oklahoma City, but it could be statewide as well. The entire state is pretty much either orange or red at this point because of there's a lot of Oklahomans operating in a pre-COVID fashion. So right. there's still not enough people wearing masks. There are people still congregating. They're traveling to and fro. And so those things make um, our COVID rates grow exponentially. Yeah. And we'll talk about this a little bit. And I, I will acknowledge now, I'm sure listeners, you can hear some background noise. That's on my end. I apologize. I'll try to mute when I'm not speaking. But um, I have the windows open here in my little office podcast studio because um, the I'm trying to isolate or quarantine away from my wife and baby who were not directly exposed. And um, so I had a test the other day. It was negative, but it was only on day four. And we all know someone at this point that, you know, didn't have symptoms until day eight or nine. Most cases, if you get to day 10, you should be okay. Um but I've got windows open in here to provide some airflow and ventilation. Um, so I can, I've been wearing a mask around the house. It's just, I've been hanging out in the garage, uh, carving spoons out of limbs that fell during the ice storm, trying to, um, occupy my mind for a little while. Uh, but Bailey, just before we started recording, we talked about the issue of mask mandates, which is, uh, much maligned on the interwebs, right? Everyone is, has an opinion about it. Uh, Oklahoma City has a mass mandate. I think Tulsa does as well. I think most of the metro um, larger cities do at this point. I believe Oklahoma City's is through December 7th. And the way things are moving, I suspect that the city council will end up extending that deadline. Yeah. And we do not have one statewide. Governor Stitt has maintained that he supports cities. If they feel like they, they should do it, then it's up to them to do it and just um, calling upon Oklahomans to do the right thing and to wear a mask. And he has become, we'll say, more encouraging or forceful with that language than he was previously. I encourage our listeners to read the not, I'm sorry, the uh, Frontier article written by Ben Felder that explored the governor's response to COVID um, and the conversations he's had. He did a public records request um, 
for conversations that stem, I think, back to like March. Yeah, so both email you, and telephone conversations. Yes. And so that gives you some insights about the instability that's been involved with decision making by the governor in uh, his response to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and yeah. how thought processes have even shifted um, over the past seven to eight months as far as what the statewide response would be. Yeah. And I, you know, one thing that was interesting to me, uh, Ben Felder did a tweet thread the day that it published, I think, because people had asked him what was most notable to him or interesting in writing that story. And he's, and he said, the one thing, one of the things that was the most interesting is that it is clear the governor is willing to change his mind on issues because there were a number of things where he was adamantly and publicly opposed to doing something. And then literally like the day after he made some statement to that effect, he did the thing, whatever it was. And so I think that shows that like when the right people or enough people speak to him or something hits him the right, you know, the right way, we're all trying to crack that code, I guess. Uh, But that's, that it's possible, which I think is a good sign overall. I mean, I think we all wish he would just issue a, mi- a mask mandate. And at this point, it is but, bananas to me that he hasn't. And it demonstrates, too, his lack of awareness on what exactly to do mm-hmm. because his thoughts are constantly shifting on what the response should be. There was one of the recordings from that article in the frontier where he was talking with church leaders and they asked him, you know, are you going to keep churches open during this time? And he made the statement about, you know, I would never have uh, a leader of faith arrested in, in the state of Oklahoma. But he said, well, I have to go back and figure out what exactly I just put this executive order in place yesterday. I need to go back yeah. and figure out what it means. Yeah. And so there's still learning he's doing in this process of making governmental decisions. And there was a big even uproar uh, because a reporter captured one of the interviews he did in a press conference where he mentioned Google's advisement in his recent decision to limit people from, or I guess a a curfew he put in place to limit people from going to certain places like restaurants and bars and things after 11 p.m. And then he required those places to social distance and keep chairs and tables six feet apart. Um, But even with that, he mentioned that they made that decision by Google, right? And yeah. what his meaning was at first, a lot of people thought, including myself, did he just like type into the Google search bar? Um, but it was he was using Google Analytics right. to say, okay, it looks like people are going here at this frequency. Um, but rather than listening to state medical experts or even like White House guidelines about what should be done with the rising cases of COVID. He was trying to draw conclusions based on this raw data, which a lot of Oklahomans are criticizing that isn't the right move or decision in how to craft policy. Right. Like it's um, the good news is he was making decisions based on some data. The bad news is he's also been ignoring a lot of great data for months, right? Or not following that data. And so it's not like Google offered anything that was. dramatically more insightful than what we already know, right? It's that where people gather, when you're not wearing masks, the virus is spread. The more virus, the more people that are infected, the more folks that are positive, the the more it's being spread. And this, I, I told somebody, probably Scott, the other day that several years ago, a friend showed me a tweet from an account called Stuff White People Like. And it said, uh, the tweet said, wearing a condom the first time with a new partner and then never ever again. And kind of chuckled at that, particularly because I was working in public health dealing with sexually transmitted diseases. But I think about that tweet every time I see a crowded restaurant and I watch people walk from their cars 
into a restaurant and they put their mask on and they walk in, sit down, take it off. Right. And then they sit there in a room full of people with all their masks off. And I'm like, this is just as effective as like wearing a mask from your car to the building when there's not really anyone around you doesn't help. Right. doesn't hurt, but you're not actively preventing it right then. But then you go into the place with all the people and take your mask off and it just defeats the purpose. And I'm sure, you know, many of our listeners have seen the photos from whatever the big churches in Tulsa the other day that had a very crowded concert thing. And And not even just a crowded concert. They had memes and messages on their website that says, you know, are you in fear? Are you walking in faith? Are you doing these different things to suggest that like, people shouldn't follow health and safety protocols if you believe in Jesus and you should just walk out of your house without a mask and be safe because you're, you have this idea of faith and it's, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous in a time where cases are high and hospitals are at capacity in ICU. It was just a few days ago, I believe that ABC news and world report had a national uh, story about the severity of COVID right now. And one of the stories that they captured was Comanche County Memorial Hospital in Lawton, Oklahoma. Oh, I think I saw this where they had the woman that went in to see her husband. Yes, because her husband is in very poor condition because of how COVID um, has ravished his body and she was worried that she wouldn't even be able to see her husband um, if he were to pass away. And so the reporter for ABC News was able to pass the word to her that they're going to put you in complete PPE gear and allow you to see your hu- see her husband and she was uh, in tears. Um, but that's how real this thing is. but yet you have people who are supposed to, lead our state, whether it's the legislature, whether it's in the executive office, who are still walking around in places without masks. Um, And then also the the governor was asked about um, Thanksgiving and he said, I'm still gonna go see my family. I'm still gonna see my parents and I encourage Oklahomans to see their loved ones too, which is counter to even what Mayor David Holt is saying. He's saying that hey, Oklahoma Cityans, I'm begging and pleading with you because cases are so high. Please just cool it from going different places and limit you know, the amount of contact you're having with people for the next 10 days because the experts are telling us that holidays are the times where cases just grow exponentially and we're going to see a higher surge. And so in order to prevent that, we need fewer people interacting. And even like um, Zoom is doing uh, unlimited time that people Mm -hmm. can talk with their family and friends through uh, their virtual platform to help give people that opportunity to still connect, even if they can't connect with their families during Thanksgiving. But then you have the top leader in our state saying, I'm going to be with my family and I think Oklahomans should be too. And so it's scary because it's one thing to use the data and and I'm saying that in quotations. It's another thing to properly interpret what the data means and what you should do with it. And that's what we're lacking right now. And it's going to cost lives throughout the state. Yeah. Listeners, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to see my family next week. And I recommend you don't either. It, it sucks, but taking a break from one Thanksgiving, uh, because it might keep somebody alive is worth it, right? And even if it's not your family, right? Um, but maybe, you know, someone shows up, they are asymptomatic and they don't know it, just like my grandmother was, and they give it to somebody else. And that person gives it to somebody else, right? Like this is a, a chain reaction that we have the opportunity to end. And I honestly, I don't know how many of our state legislators, if any, listen to this show on the on the regular, but I would love to see some other leadership, right? Like I feel like I have seen very few of our 149 state legislators come out and band together, right? Like this is a community. This should be a statewide nationwide effort to save Americans, right? 
and you got to not go to restaurants. I have friends that own restaurants and my heart aches for them. But if a few restaurants die so that some people can live, that may be the trade-off, right? We're trading well, off the other side. We're, I mean, well, there are ways to even a trade-off, right? Like I saw a restaurant owner post on social media and I loved his framing because he said, it's not an either or. If we want to save the economy, we have to stop the yeah. spread. Yeah. And so we and you can, can still, back. sorry, I was like, you can still <laughs> eat out, right? Like you just take it to go like we did back in the spring, right? Like that's, and that's what we're doing for Thanksgiving. Like we are, we decided between cooking at home, which we could do, but we decided to, this year, let's order food from a restaurant as a way to help them survive this period where they, already have diminished business, right? And we want to invest in our community in that way. But we, the second yeah. that gave me major hope was after Mayor Holt's press conference, he mentioned that reporters asked him, do you think people are going to abide by what you said? Because that's been the rationale of inaction, right? Is, well, if we tell people they have to do it, then they're not going to do it out of principle. But David Holt tweeted um, multiple images of different businesses and churches and organizations saying, we're standing with Mayor Holt. We're going to abide by his recommendations. We're closing um, in-person services and we're only going to do takeout delivery options, you know, or we're just going to do virtual meetings. We're not going to do in person to support this effort. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, I believe it was um, about a week ago or so, there was a report that the Tulsa World published that talked about areas where there were mass mandates. And they said in the areas where mass mandates were present, the increase went up by about 39%, but the areas that didn't have mass mandates in the state went up by like something crazy, like 300%. Um, and so it shows that when we set that expectation of what Oklahomans have to do, it does work and it can work. It just takes that public will to get people to make the right decision. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, uh, uh, masks aren't a silver bullet, but they are a a, a bullet of some kind that is very effective, right? And when and they're used properly, like you when mentioned, used pro <laughs> right? Well, yes, exactly right. And and so you got to do it. It costs you nothing. It costs nothing, right? You just put it on. You go about your life. It's fine. Just because you don't like to do it doesn't mean you shouldn't, right? Like that's this is the right thing to do. It's it is not just patriotic and in support of our country. It is in support of humanity, which is a good thing. And so, listeners. I, I want to believe that you all are good people who think this way as well. But if you're on the fence for whatever it's worth, Bailey and I and Scott in his absence urge you just wear a mask all the time, right? Like whenever you leave your home, wear it. And then to the extent you can just don't go out, especially for the next couple of weeks, we have the opportunity to, to tamp down, to flatten the curve a little bit. And what we're going to see, we, we've seen, cases, new cases skyrocket over the past week. And so in the next week or two, we're going to see hospitalizations skyrocket and they are already at capacity, right? There, I know a number of hospitals are having to call in physicians from their primary care offices to come work in their hospital because they, they are instituting surge plans. They've got, they're trying to, you know, reshuffle staff to go out to rural areas where they don't have ICU staff it's going to get dire in the next couple of weeks. And a couple of weeks after that, as we lead into Christmas, we're going to have a spike in deaths, right? It's, and we it's can't assume up. that it's just going to be people who have underlining conditions, right? Because yeah. sometimes we think we're healthy, but we may have something going on that we don't realize. There was a story about a singer named Jeremiah who is 33 years old or what people knew about him and the way he performs on stage and, and moves on a day to day, he was healthy. He didn't have underlying conditions. And now he's on a ventilator in ICU uh, because he got COVID and the impact that it's having on his body. And so we can't make assumptions about 
who COVID impacts because it's affecting people of all age ranges. It's impacting people of varying degrees of healthiness. Um, and we don't want it to be you or your families to have to deal with that stress. Right. And and while, yes, statistically, 98, 99% of people, quote, recover, that statistic does not describe what recover means other than not die, right? So 98%, 99% of people live. Yes, many of them live with lingering illnesses that last weeks or months, um, the trauma of that, right? Just because you just because you were on a ventilator and you got off and got discharged six weeks or, t- or eight weeks later doesn't mean that like life is easy. I have a relative that was in the hospital. Oh gosh, what was that? Six weeks ago? He's still on oxygen at home, right? Like he's, he's not all the way. And that's just, he needs air to survive. To say nothing about his ability to do anything, right? He walking to the kitchen is, is completely exhausting to him. And he was a, healthy guy was a football or a soccer coach, right? Like this, this is a big deal. Also, if even 2% of the population were to die, that that's a small percentage, but that's a ton of people, right? 250,000 Americans have died this year already because of this virus. And that number just keeps going up. Right. Do everything you can to prevent it from being one more person, right? Like it's just bananas. Well, and I will say too, Andy, um, and I know we can move on from our COVID talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're hopeful that the progress that's being made on the vaccine, you know, will continue. But April is a long time away. Mm-hmm. And in order to keep that number of people who will die from COVID down to keep the spread, you know, reduced, it's going to take us all to do what we got to do over the next few months to prepare us to get to a place where COVID can be controlled. Yeah. If you want proof that April is a long time away, remember that it was about 50 days ago that the president had COVID, right? Only 50 days. Think how far, like how long ago that feels. Even the election was two weeks ago and it feels like it was two or three months ago. It just time is weird. Well, speaking of elections, it feels like it's still not over. (laughs) And apparently to 70 Republican lawmakers in Oklahoma's legislature, it's still not over. Yeah. So they sent a letter to, is it the secretary of state in Arizona? Yes. And tell us what the letter said. So the letter is in short asking them to review the count of their election to find the ballots that were eligible to be counted that weren't and to look at the illegal ballots that were placed and reject them from the process. Now, how you determine which ballots that were counted and casted are the illegal ones is beyond me, but there's a group of lawmakers in Oklahoma that believe the elections in other states weren't administered properly. Coincidentally, the ones that were swing states (laughs) are the ones that they think were the ones that weren't administered properly. Right. It's suspicious, one might say. Also, it's this, you know, there's there's a tweet for everything, as they say, and it is... uh, it has been interesting to see the number of tweets that President Trump had put out four years ago, um, supporting like in in the same states, like with the same issue where he was on the, uh, it just the roles were reversed, and and he was talking about how safe and secure it was and everything's fine, and you know it's just it's ridiculous. He he lost. We all know it. I he's I get why he's fighting it, and I get why Republicans are not standing up to him. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's partisan and it's shameful. And ballots were found in a couple of counties in Georgia that mm-hmm. weren't counted in the process, but they weren't enough ballots to be able to change the outcome of the election. And so many Republicans or Trump supporters, I won't even say Republicans, I'll say Trump supporters in this time are using those anecdotes 
as ways to point to the system is rigged, the system doesn't work, voter fraud is rampant, um, which is false because in these areas we have some of the, and in fact, um, I believe it was, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember what specific uh, federal agency came out and said, we have the strongest election system probably in the world, right? It's, it's one of our most secure mm-hmm. elections that took place. Um, and so you have uh, many of these election boards and, and secretaries of state who are um, led by Republicans, right? Mm-hmm. And so it just doesn't make sense as to why Republican leaders would want to sabotage elections for a Republican incumbent president, right? And so many of these secretary of states are pushing back and saying, you know, we believe in the integrity of the election process. And even in recounts, we know that we did the things that we were supposed to do and the the process was fair. And so it's just mind boggling that even two weeks now after the election, mm-hmm. we're still having conversations about um, the integrity of our election system. Yeah, I think that conversation is going to last for a long time, right? Like it's certainly until January 20th. And and I, I think we all agree that every vote, every vote should be counted. You can count votes if you want, but they don't affect the presidency. Every vote should be counted because that's what's fair. And then there's going to be this overarching conversation that that has been brewing, right, about the electoral college and and kind of all these things. And it's at this time it's going to be a partisan debate, which is sad because it should be a a democratic debate. And it's it's going to be partisan because of the partisan split in our in our government, right? So when it's not even partisan debate, it's becoming an infringement on our democracy and our government being able to function. Mm-hmm. The Trump administration is still barring President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris to be able to have the transition. Uh, dollars and the uh, briefings and the different things that they need to be able to smoothly transition um, by January 20th. And so that is a damper in our democratic process, which doesn't matter where you fall on the political spectrum, you should be concerned. Like these things shouldn't be happening. And I follow uh, Professor Keith Gaddy on, on Twitter, and he made the comment that one of these states needs to sue the GSA for blocking All right. yeah. the government from being able to do what the Constitution says it's supposed to do, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, That's a good point. Yeah, it's um, – what a mess. Speaking of su- of states suing, do we talk about last week about – I guess it only could happen yet last week. Uh, Oklahoma Attorney General Mike Hunter – signed on with some other Republican attorneys general to sue in Michigan or Pennsylvania. One I of the states. It was Michigan, but I don't think we talked about that yet. So Yeah. So again, you know, I, I was listening to another great Oklahoma politics podcast uh, this week in Oklahoma politics on uh, KOSU with uh, Ryan Kiesel. And this week it had uh, with Republican former speaker, Chris Steele and they addressed this and and both said, yeah, uh, this is a waste of money, right? Like it's, um, it's, it's a waste of money. I think about how mad Oklahomans would be if the Pennsylvania, well, yeah. Pennsylvania's AG came in and said, I, we don't trust your election. We, how dare you, right? Get, go back up to new England. Like it would, and I'm sure that's how they feel too. And it's just absurd, right? This this is different than us all banding together to sue the tobacco companies or the oil companies or the opioid companies, right? We wouldn't sue the oil companies, but the op- opioid manufacturers. That's that makes a lot of sense. Where it's a class action by the states, you know, against. And it's hard to find the relevancy to Oklahoma, right? Because in the situation right. that you're referencing, Andy, there is a direct tie an interest at state to the people of Oklahoma. Right. For us to sue another 
state that has control over their election processes to sue them about how they do their elections and the outcome of their elections has nothing to do with the 4 million people who live in the state of Oklahoma. Right. Now, and the outcome may involve what impacts the entire nation, but that decision for us to sue somebody else because we don't like the way they did things just seems irrelevant and, like you said, a waste of our tax dollars. Yeah, I mean, you know, most of the lawsuits that have come out of this election have been dismissed um, by the judge or withdrawn by the Trump administration in many cases. And, you know, for any for any lawsuits to move forward, the judge has the has to review and and agree that the um, the person filing has standing right that's the the term and and what you're saying is it doesn't seem that we that you know mike hunter has standing because no oklahomans were harmed by how pennsylvania con- conducted their elections that's it's the, just solely political and uh, it's yeah absurd right and as we've said before you know it's widely rumored that the the attorney general maybe eyeing a run for the governor and this gives him some news hits and maybe gets him out there publicly on the side of defending election integrity or something like it'll be a mailer for somebody probably on both sides, right? This will be a mailer on both sides. I defended the, the election. Oklahomans you... have to remember is that this decision, regardless of whether we are able to sue Pennsylvania or not, it still doesn't change the fact that president elect Biden earned more than 270 electoral votes. So even if something were to happen, in Pennsylvania, which is very, very unlikely, he still has 270 electoral votes and will become the 46th president of the United States. Right. So it's they just- would have to throw out Pennsylvania and another state like Pennsylvania and Arizona or and Michigan. It's going to be two or three of those that will be thrown out and that's not going to happen. My dog is whining. <laughs> Um, okay. He's whining about how sad it is that politics are being played. That's probably it. You know, I think it's funny. Dogs, I don't know about you. Do you guys have a dog? Do not, no. Okay. Well, then I'm sure you're so familiar with this this uh, occurrence that every day, like they usually eat about 4 or 4.30. And so starting about 3.30, they're in here trying to get some food. Olive. <laughs> um, so, uh, Bailey, here in Oklahoma, our elections done right like everything's people have been elected uh the only thing left remaining is that there will be a special election for um for stephanie congresswoman elect stephanie bice's state senate seat yeah but other than that i think everything else is resolved and that means that the legislative work has begun bill filing started this week (laughs) i haven't seen a number yet but But i heard that it's a lot of bills that have been filed already so I, I, yeah, I'm not surprised. I, there was some news hit. Um, Dylan Richards at KOCO had a, a, a tweet about a bill filed by Senator Nathan Dom that would, it was about elections. Actually, this is a good segue. It was about, it would re, uh, allow the state legislature to select electors rather than the, the people, basically. So it's, a uh, would be a shift in how our electoral college votes are cast. It wouldn't change the outcome at right now. Um, and it, I don't think the bill, well, I don't know. I don't think it'll even get heard um, because that's the way these early controversial bills tend to go, but who knows? And Kyle Hilbert had a tweet that reminded people that heads up, it's <laughs> bill filing time for the Oklahoma legislature and there's going to be a whole lot of bills filed um, and you're going to read about a whole lot of of the bills that are going to be filed in uh, the newspapers, but it doesn't mean that those bills are going to advance through the process. And it certainly doesn't mean that all of those bills become law because we know that we have a very deliberate legislative process to where not even 10% of bills that are filed 
uh, make it to the governor's desk. And so that's another heads up to uh, our listeners that um, don't get too upset about the things that you read in headlines over the next month. Um, just follow where those bills go in legislative process and be in conversation with your elected leaders to make sure that the outrageous bills don't advance in the process. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's a, a lot of folks want to be famous, right? And so there's lots of press releases and blustering about some of these bills because people want to get out there and have their have their name in the press and to make a make a point by filing a bill. But often, as we know, those don't always don't always go anywhere. Um, but it doesn't hurt to pay attention. And it's uh, it's both uh, exciting and nerve wracking to know that the cogs of the legislature are starting to move. Um, the other thing that will be happening here very soon, starting in two weeks, actually, is the legislature will start hosting their town hall meetings about redistricting, right? So well, I assume our listeners are familiar with this concept since I've been talking about it for the last year and a half. Uh, so they announced, House and Senate both announced, uh, I think it was a joint announcement, their meetings. There's 18 that are scheduled, two in Oklahoma City, both at the state capitol, uh, two in the Tulsa area, one in Tulsa, one in Owasso, and then the other... 14 are sprinkled around the state, you know, Ardmore, Lawton, Ada, um, but then a bunch of other smaller towns too. So well, and Andy, like- I think it's important to mention that this is the first time the legislature has taken this proactive approach to get the public involved and to do a more transparent redistricting process. Yeah. There are advocates like Andy and many others around the state who have complained to the legislature that, hey, when you do these processes, you're doing it in a way that benefits whoever's in the majority at that time and not in a way that's fair and transparent and ensures equitable representation around the state. And so this ties back to the reason we had a census, right? And so we just completed our 2020 census and they're going to use that data to decide what representation is going to look like, how to draw those lines. And so that's going to impact us for the next 10 years. And so it's vital that our listeners participate in those meetings and share input so that you can be on record of saying, I told the lawmakers that this is what I wanted to see for my representation. And if that doesn't match up when they finish the redistricting process, you can hold them accountable for it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and if listeners uh, want to know where the meetings are, I will put a link in the show notes to a map that I made just the other day that has little, you know, map pins. It's a Google map for all the locations. And it, if you click on each one, it has the date, time, and location of that meeting. Um, and you can and also- they will be virtual. Some of them, I think all of them will be live streamed. And so if you don't feel comfortable going in person, you can watch on live stream. And I'm still going to find out um, and reach out to um, the the leadership on redistricting on if there's going to be opportunity and process for people to type feedback and there'll be a way to accept questions virtually for those who can't be there in person. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So this is a real concern of mine. I was um, kind of stressing out about this last night because of the sharp increase in COVID cases, right? And the the fact that, you know, we need to have this input, right? And the public deserves to be involved in the process. And I'm so glad the legislature is doing these meetings. It just couldn't happen at a worse time, right? I mean, that's this, and that's no fault of anybody. Um, I think they said they were going to have virtual options where the the venue would allow, like they had the infrastructure to do it. So obviously the state capitol, can live stream things, but I do con- I'm concerned about some of the, you know, smaller towns and libraries and wherever else they're doing it around the state um, that they, in, in theory, you could at least live stream it, right? Someone could use their phone and do it. And I hope that the legislature takes their pledge to make this transparent um, and, and to do that, you know, it's hard, like we, for, for people, not politicians, we want people to participate and, so sending out messages of like, hey, here's the 
dates and times of these meetings, please attend safely, right? Like I don't want to send anybody in harm's way unnecessarily, but we want folks to be able to participate. And so I've, I've especially because not every part of the state has a mask mandate. And so yeah. if you are going to go to those meetings, please wear your mask, please social distance. Um, but know that there is another option for you to watch it virtually. <laughs> right. So, and as soon as I um, find out about those links, um, Bailey, if you find out, send them my way and we will share those as well. Cause we would love people to participate. Um, I assume that they'll be having the, basically the same presentation at each location. And I know other groups are um, working to get that information to, to share it as well. And so this is a big deal. So redrawing all of our state legislative and congressional districts is a big deal. Um, they have a different approach to it than what I would prescribe or how I would do it uh, because they want to protect incumbent seats and they want to kind of ensure that the party in power stays in power. Not that there's enough Democrats that they could draw it any other way, but there could be a, perhaps a less slanted <laughs> map version. Um, and, and so I'm really curious to see how this whole process plays out. I've heard that the the committee chairs have already been summoned to a closed door meeting with um, Keith Beal and some of the other and T.W. Shannon, the consultants that are helping with this sometime after the first of the year. And so we'll see what I mean, that's the kind of thing where it's like even my dog doesn't like it. It's the kind of thing where it's like, I want these public meetings and then come to the dark room, you know, in our in our secret map drawing bunker to find out what's actually going to happen. And that's exactly how this should not happen. Absolutely. I mean, the public meetings definitely shouldn't be a, a checkbox to say, here's how we engage the public, but we just did the things that we, we wanted to do. And so, but that right. makes the public paying attention and people continuing to have conversations to hold leaders accountable. Yeah. And, and so, I'll, and I'll say, I mean, I, because I said, you know, uh, several months ago in the steps of the state Capitol, this was going to happen. And, in case those lawmakers are still listening, I we're definitely doing. I had conversations this week with some academics that are doing studies on our current maps. I, you know, talked to multiple different cartographers that do this kind of mapping um, about drawing new maps. Um, we're devising ways to receive feedback. Uh, in fact, listeners, there's a, a website called representable.org. Uh, it's representable.org is how you spell it, just like it sounds. And on this website, it's it's associated with Princeton University. And I talked to their team back last fall, and I have a call with them next week again. Um, it's a really cool, like, um, crowdsourcing way to identify communities of interest. So you can go on there, you make a little account, and you set it up so that you can basically kind of draw a map around a community of interest and, you know, like did you know in your community. So maybe it's, maybe it's a neighborhood. It's the Plaza district. It's the Paseo it's Greenwood, like, you know, or, or it's, you know, the South side of Enid goes to this school. And so it's that community, right? Like feeder schools, however you kind of define your community. We all shop at the same, you know, Piggly Wiggly, whatever it is. And you can draw it on there and submit it. And the goal is to, use the power of the internet and to crowdsource information so that whomever is drawing the map, commissions or legislators or whatever, that they have more information to draw it more uh, efficiently and more effectively. So it's it's a really cool resource, representable.org. That is really cool. I can't wait to check it out. Okay, so uh, maybe we'll wrap up this week with uh, a news story that I saw in the Oklahoma just a little while ago about $15 million in CARES Act funds being used to update state websites. Now that's, I mean, it's a clink, a clickbaity link, but it's that's true. And I think we talked about this several months ago that things like the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission website, right, where you file unemployment, that just got swamped and crashed and has been uh, limping along ever since. Like there are a number of things that needed to be updated. The state health department's infectious disease reporting their whole health data database called FIDO um, with a P-H-I-D-D-O, FIDO. That has, it's web-based and it has also been 
um, overwhelmed this year. And so this is a, I would say an appropriate use of CARES Act funds that is directly related to response. It's not like they're just making them, you know, pretty and shiny. I hope that comes because some of these are really ugly websites, but it makes them more effective so that we can use them. One, especially because in the midst of this pandemic and cases rising, folks can't physically go to OESC and sit in a meeting and different things. And so if we're able to effectively use the websites for people to quickly and effectively get information that they need or be able to submit information or do the things that they need to do for their business, it helps us to take better care of Oklahomans. And so if, if that is the way that we're using the 15 million to update websites for usability for Oklahomans to be able to get the things that they need, then that's truly a good thing, like you said, Andy. Yeah, and I'll I'll drop the link to this article in the show notes as well because it lists all the agencies that are getting updates. And so it's a, a bunch of websites, one of which is the state election board, which is a huge deal because that's a website that I use all the time. It's super important. They've got some big um, things that are rolling out this year, right? Where like um, uh, online voter registration should supposed to be coming, I think, at the end of next year. And so the website needs to be done. And with so many people using it this year to register for absentee voting, to get information, you know, all that stuff. Um, it's And for the how the election board reports out results, um, that's a big deal too. And so I think, I think what's happening, right, is that the presence of COVID-19 has exacerbated uh, areas that were already in need, right? And like move them from um, something that was like, a need to fix down the road to into the critical zone. And fortunately the federal government provided the state $1.2 billion to respond to it. A bunch of that money went to organizations um, and companies and some of that money has got to go to the state to help the state respond as well. So that's a, a good deal, a little bit of a, a good light. Well, and for another good light related to CARES Act, except at the County level, um, Oklahoma County, uh, approved the use of 25 million of the County CARES Act dollars to be given to a small business and nonprofit relief program. Um, and it launches in three days. And so for our listeners who may be outside of Oklahoma City, if you're like in Bethany, War Acres, or in Jones, Spencer, Midwest City, um, and you have under 100 employees, um, and you've been operating since February of 2020, you should apply to get some of these um, CARES Act dollars that the county can provide to you. And the application has a short window, so you have to apply quickly. It's from um, November 23rd through December 2nd. And so be sure to share and spread the word um, that those who live outside or have businesses outside of Oklahoma City but are in Oklahoma County um, can apply for um, support through uh, Oklahoma County's CARES Act dollars. Right. And I actually got that on an email just a little while ago um, from the county commissioner. So I will drop that into the show notes as well um, because there's it's okcountygrants.org is the website but i'll put that link in our show notes as well in case you're driving or flying as the airplane goes over my house geez and uh and can't write it down okcountygrants.org all right well on that note brings us to the end of the episode bailey thank you for being here andy thank you Olive, thank you for being here. She sniffs around on my desk. I'm afraid she's going to eat the cat food. Um, all right, listeners, thank you for being here as well. Please wear a mask. Stay home as much as you can. Um, love your friends from a distance, your family via Zoom, whatever you got to do to help help America get through this terrible, terrible time. Uh, our show is written and produced by Bailey, me, Scott. Uh, we are a part of Let's Fix This. That's the organization. I'm wearing the t-shirt as I record this. Uh, and our podcast is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network, which is based right here in Oklahoma City. And our music is a song called Rano Funk by artist So Down. 
Well, and as we always say, remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week.